didn't know pro wrestlers reused their promos in different territories, and it has been bumming me out. <laughs> I I did they they worked them out like stand up comedians, and I texted you immediately because I was so crushed. I I literally feel like I just found out pro wrestling wasn't real again. Yeah, they they travel around. They're artists. They talk. Why are you so surprised? Yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta hash this out. You yeah. promos, you reuse the lines. They also reuse some of the angles. Like if there's yeah. an angle to build up to a hair versus hair match, like sometimes they recycle that and just take it around the loop. You go to Portland, do that for a while, and then go to Central States, do the same angle. I mean, in Colonel De Beers, he always does an angle and it's super racist. That's <laughs> just that's how it works. Do you work them out? Like, do you have a perfect man scout promo? Yeah, I mean, I have I have my lines that I do. Like, I have my formula. Like, I usually start to like listen up, all you weeblos, and, <laughs> and then I always I'm building to an end where I'm make some sort of proclamation where I can go, and that's a promise. Scouts honor. Uh, yeah. It's the same shit in Hollywood. It's just every just. Why did you not think it applied to wrestling? Uh, I don't know. I, I've I've been doing the same stand-up jokes for five years. So I don't know why I'm upset. <laughs> uh, you know, I just all right. Welcome to Tim Bell Pod, where art is a lie, everything is not real. Yes, you, you nailed it. Everything is commerce. Everything is commerce. <sighs> everything is commerce. We've uh, all right. I'm <sighs> Nick Alexander. Put that cigarette out. I'm joined by Micah J. Loving. Uh, it's my cigarette. And we are in the Manning Cave. With the scout there is, the scout there was, and the scout there ever will be, the man scout Jake Manning. You come up with better like lines than I do in promos. <laughs> like, I, I'm literally going to start stealing some of these <laughs> and put these in my promos. I'm glad that you've workshopped the, these, <laughs> and then I'm going to recut that promo in every territory across the land. <laughs> uh, how dare you? Today, we are discussing a man that was part of just about every iconic moment there is to talk about in pro wrestling he got me grounded so many times for his godforsaken hotline. To call him the greatest of all time at what he did is somehow still selling him short. He was mean Gene Okerlund. How do we get through this and it not just be crying into the microphone for an hour? We can do that. I have a comparison. I think I'll see I'll see what you think about it. Uh, mean Gene was he was so iconic. He had that smooth voice. He was always the coolest guy in the room in a room full of cool guys. He had the suit, he had the martini in one hand. Mean Gene was the Frank Sinatra of wrestling. Okay. I I'm not I'm not too much I'm against that. Crazy yeah. about it, but I I'm not gonna argue against it. I, think. You, I feel like you know, you're a bit more of an alpha male. Like I see Flair as being like the Frank Sinatra because there's the hint of danger. I mean definitely a Joey Bishop of professional wrestling, <laughs> yeah. but uh, and I don't know if Mean Gene had too many mafia connections, so that kinda knocks him off. You don't know Sinatra. what Mean Gene had. Oh, I mean we, we know Mean Gene had a smoking habit and that's where you had that tremendous voice he had like gene came from an era of broadcasters where almost like you were required to smoke because it made your voice sound better like that was flavor in this voice yeah like i gotta keep a deep voice i gotta make sure i smoke a bunch of cigarettes and as i've learned over the years in working in broadcasting you know prior to getting into professional wrestling everybody like tech guys and broadcasters uh on camera talent behind the camera like as soon as you pack up the gear and you're done and it's loaded up 
you go immediately to the bar as fast as possible. <laughs> and that's kind of what Gene's MO was. And <laughs> saying he's got to get a couple clear ones in him. Mm-hmm. And just like, that's just his MO for life. Eugene Arthur Okerlund <laughs> was born December 19th, 1942 in Brookings, South Dakota. There's only one, one other thing happened on this day. I think Jake really has a chance of getting this one. On also this day, what famous criminal was transferred to Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary? And I'm going to go ahead and throw out the clue out there. He's played by Burt Lancaster. Oh, that's a bird man from Alcatraz. Boom! Jake fucking nailing the trivia. Yep. Uh, but I don't know who he was playing in the Birdman from Alcatraz. Yeah, I'm going to give you that anyway. I'm excited. Uh, Robert Strode was the name of the criminal. A psychopathic pimp turned nurturing ornithologist. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Burt Lancaster, Birdman of Alcatraz. All right. Gene grew up a pretty casual fan of pro wrestling, watching people like Vern Gagne wrestle in the 50s. But his first love was music. He actually had a band called Gene Carroll and the Shades, who put out an album called In This Corner. In 62, they put out a single called Is It Ever Gonna Happen? And it's actually really fucking good. It's good. I liked it a lot. (laughs) It's very 50 style back when rock and roll was about root beer floats and heavy petting. In 09, they were actually inducted into the South Dakota Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame. I wonder if off camera Gene ever walked up to Jimmy Hart and was like, hey, um... What was the name of your shitty band? That <laughs> <laughs> seems like something Gene would yeah. be like. The G- Jerry's? <laughs> Gentry's. Okay. All right. Well, I, do, were, you guys, were you guys any good? <laughs> seems like something Gene would do to Jimmy Hart. I, I genuinely loved it. And it, I found it on Amazon Music. So it's out there if you want to find it. Yeah, even on YouTube. In 64, Mean Gene married his wife, who was also named Gene. That is a pimp move. Oh, he, he stayed with her his entire life. Uh, they had two kids, one of them being Todd Okerlund, who played for the New York Islanders in the NHL. Mean Gene went to college at the University of Nebraska to study broadcast journalism. After graduating, he got a job as a top 40 DJ at KOIL, a popular radio station out in Omaha, Nebraska. He later moved to Minneapolis, where he'd work for WDGY, as well as becoming a program director for the TV station KDWB. And working at that TV station would eventually lead to Mean Gene getting involved in pro wrestling and the AWA. And I can't tell you how important it is as working in broadcasting, having that dry, straight, bland Midwest <laughs> accent <laughs> as an announcer, as, as a commentator, all that. That, that's what they just salivate over. You look at like someone like Tom Brokaw, very straight ahead. If we're going to talk, I'm going to deliver the news like this. Yeah. No accent whatsoever. No sharp inflections. No distinct qualities on where I'm from geographically. <laughs> like as a broadcaster coming from the Midwest is like ideal and, and perfect. You look at like, how Tony Schiavone just had just enough of a Southern accent yeah. that it was like bothered Vince McMahon <laughs> yep. and you know usually like you know Dusty's okay because he's doing color commentary but like your main 
commentators, you want them to have little or no accent whatsoever. Like your play-by-play guy, your interviewers, your nightly newscasters. Everybody is looking for somebody from the Midwest who grew up without an accent and absence of all flavor and color with their dialect. Just to make it objective and a blank slate to deliver the news as the news is with no bias or anything. It's much like, you know, doing stand-up with a plain t-shirt plain colored t-shirt so that way people aren't looking at your x-men t-shirt or your band t-shirt and then they make an association of who you are based on what you're wearing on your t-shirt the awa was broadcasted at the station mean gene was working at and in april of 71 they reached out to him to fill in for ring announcer and interviewer marty o'neill who was in poor health and missing some shows and by the end of the 70s mean gene was working with the awa full-time and Marty O'Neill is a pretty good broadcaster as well. I, I think people forget. Like I remember seeing him do a couple interviews. He was, he was really good as well. But it's it's always just funny how the AWA just stumbles onto people. They're like, "Hey, somebody's sick. Eric Bischoff, you want to yeah. come in?" <laughs> like they're 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 notorious. So what I'm saying is, if you're the guy who's sick at AWA, the guy's going to take your job is going to end up being far more successful than you are. Starting out as a color commentator, Gene eventually moved over to interviewing, and it was in AWA that Okerlund would befriend and work with legends such as Bobby the Brain Heaton, the immortal Hulk Hogan. He was the best man at Iron Sheik's wedding, and in 79, he would be given the name Mean Gene by the great Jesse Ventura. Legendary story about that, as it, as it goes, as I've heard it multiple times over, is that uh, Jesse Ventura was talking about how he was hanging out with the Rolling Stones and, and partying all night with them. And then I think me and G made some quip like, oh, Jesse, you're so full of it. And then Jesse Ventura goes, that's mean, Gene. <laughs> and then it's stuck ever since then. And just something like Hulk Hogan beating it in our brains for the next several yeah. years. Also, too, uh, Best Man at Iron Sheik's Wedding. I didn't realize that Mean Gene liked to party that hard. Yeah, it does. Iron Sheik. How was he alive? Yeah, like Iron Sheik, he burned the candles at both ends, and he liked to get down hard. So if Mean Gene's like, oh, this is my best buddy, Iron Sheik, we hang out all the time. (laughs) Wedding cake's just a mound of cocaine. (laughs) Sheik's just having a threesome on his wedding night. (laughs) Hulk Hogan actually credits Mean Gene for coaching him kind of through his early promos while in AWA. And if you look back over Hogan's career, can you, you can't imagine it without Mean Gene right beside him. There's some interesting uh, AWA promos that you can find where Hogan's not doing, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. It's just Hogan's just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to win the match and I'm really <laughs> excited. And I think, I think I'm pretty sure I'm better than the other guy. And it's just Hogan kind of straight-laced and just uh, being a normal dude, and he doesn't have that intensity that he brought. And there's uh, there's one where Hogan ha- has a total brain fart. He has a total brain fart on air. He walks off camera. He's like, ah. Oh. And then Gene keeps the promo rolling, and then he brings Hogan back on, and then Hogan busts into I'm so mad, I can't even think, so he covers up his fuck up. And But Gene stays in it the whole time in the early days of Hogan trying to cut promos. And Gene keeps him in it, and Hogan kills the promo at the end. And it's their early stuff's really joy to watch. That's the best thing. When someone did mess up, Mean Gene was just so cool and calm and collected. Like, 
someone would flub a line or just blank have like a brain fart and he'd be like oh he's clearly very flustered because this saturday at the Uh charlotte coliseum (laughs) at 8 p.m he's gonna face the iron sheik and then they come back in and be like yeah iron sheik you know whatever (laughs) just he's always pro sometimes as you're cutting promos it it almost gets like a runaway train because you're trying to have a certain amount of excitement you're trying to get out the information you're also trying to be clever and entertaining and sometimes your mind gets ahead of your mouth. So having somebody who can come in and save it like that is much needed and a thankful gift. It's somebody who can still carry it while you kind of get your composure and bring it on on back. Because the toughest thing about cutting a promo is thinking while you're talking, which is essentially what you're you're doing. The greats can do it. Dusty Rhodes, Roddy Piper... Guys that are thinking while they're talking, they're saying words, but they're thinking about the next thing they're going to say already in their mind. And that's an exercise that takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of mistakes that are made in front of that camera. And that's when you have someone like me and Gene right there to kind of pull you back in. Yeah. I thought a really good example of me and Gene just getting guys over in the AWA was anytime he'd interview Andre the Giant. By the end of it, you were like, Andre is 90 foot tall and there's not a man alive who can stop him. And also a little fun detail Mean Gene would always do with him is he'd have him speak French because, you know, uh, English wasn't Andre's first language. So I thought it was a cool way to show this guy's not like dumb. He's actually speaking in a second language. Let's speak some French for me, Andre. I I thought that was a cool touch. Yep, totally. Gene could also... In the AWA, he would do the outrageous stuff, but he had... There's a Billy Robinson interview where uh, Gene really shows his heart-filled, respectful side. There's a pro wrestler, Chris Taylor, who was Olympian. He brought Billy Robinson on, who cut a promo about what he meant to the everyone around, and Gene just stayed at the moment, made it just feel as much as possible. He would hit those, and then he would do the crazy promos with Mad Dog Vashon, who, watching all this AWA stuff, Mad Dog and Nick Bockwinkle were two dudes that I just really kind of like, fuck, these dudes can cut some promos, but in a totally different way. Mad Dog just had that, that quality where you really thought he was insane, and Gene would react as such, and he, he kept you in the moment, even as crazy as Mad Dog was, but he also, you could feel his fear as well. And then Bachwinkle's throwing out SAT words at the highest caliber, and Gene's just right there holding them steady. That's kind of what made him mean Gene, is he was always completely 100% in the moment, and I think that's why his like reactions to stuff were so good. He would act scared. He would act... He would puff up if he needed to, oh, to kind of, you moments. know... He's just always in control. So. Well, that's the thing that I, I, I took away from him because as you guys know and hopefully anybody listening know I am the interviewer for Five Dollar Wrestling and when I put on the red jacket to do the interviews I always think about Mean Gene in AWA yeah. and so much in fact like you know we always think about I think Mean like had like a little pinky ring or something like that or a little ring or something like that and I remember Colt's like hey you got a ring like Mean Gene you know <laughs> but I'm worried that the ring will be like I'll be tapping it on the microphone uh, yeah. so I don't want to don't want that and i'm not a big ring wearer anyways neither is my father he doesn't wear a wedding ring so but uh i always think of mean gene like being so in the moment and those follow-up questions but i always kind of take it that extra step when i interview these guys on five dollar wrestling and they say the absurd thing where gene would kind of make it make sense 
I would be like, wait a minute, that was stupid. Uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ask the, the, the question and, and get more in depth with it. Like, what do you really mean by that? Or Gene would take it and enhance it. I will take that hard left the other way. Yeah. But Mean Gene is, is for sure my influence when I do interviews on $5 Wrestling. I always think about him. I'm always doing stuff with my hands, just like Gene. And when I'm talking, I'm talking just like Mean Gene with that finger up, talking to the camera. Like I'm standing here with a freight train here. It's all me channeling Mean Gene as much as possible. But I'm actually saying the thing and asking the question that Mean Gene wants to say, <laughs> as opposed to the asking the question that saves the interview. So for him to have that natural gift is something that I study time and time and again. When I see a Mean Gene promo, I, I take the time to really kind of watch it, mostly because I'm trying to see what he's doing so I can apply it to my backstage interviewing and my own personal style. And that's why I always throw on the jacket. I always do a different color jacket because I think about Mean Gene with the ridiculous jackets in AWA because I think he'd have like a big red one and yeah. then he'd have like an outlandish tie. I think he had a like AWA always had the weird one. He had the tux in WWF and WCW, but the AWA always had these weird jackets. I always kind of like pattern my interviewing style after him and just I just think about him and I'm, I'm channeling him every time I start it. You reach off camera and grab a big drink, put that down. <laughs> That's exactly then... what the fuck you do, and probably grab a joint as well. <laughs> Mean Gene stayed with AWA until the end of 1983 when he and pretty much the rest of AWA jumped ship over to WWF. Apparently Hulk Hogan played a huge hand in recruiting Mean Gene over to the WWF. And it was in WWF that Mean Gene would have his first ever pro wrestling match. In 1984, Okerlund and Hulk Hogan faced Mr. Fuji and George Still in Minneapolis, which kind of felt pointed at Verganya, I think. Obviously, beforehand, the whole uh, workout uh, vignettes that they did together is some classic early Mean Gene stuff of, I need my bratwurst in my beer, Mean Gene mania and them running around. And, and I'm still amazed that Hogan let Gene have the pin in the tag match. Hogan's no dummy. He knows who the star was. He knows this <laughs> Minneapolis. He, Hulk's like, if this was New York... I'm getting the pen. Right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. since we're in Minneapolis, I'll let you have the pen. The best part is that Hogan does reach over and like push on Gene's butt. <laughs> well, like, I'm part of this. Because he's afraid that <laughs> Fuji's not going to do the job. So he's making sure he keeps him down. It would have been great if when, when Mean Gene accidentally got tagged in, he just springboard her Karana into like <laughs> Canadian destroyed the animal still. That's the one little, like Gene only has a couple spots in this. And he easily could have boshed him. And as small as they are, it's just like jumping away from animal. But he nails all his spots. And yeah, like, no, he, he's he great. fucking does it, man. On the build to the first ever WrestleMania, Mean Gene would be part of the Rock and Wrestling Connection, interviewing people like Andy Warhol, Cindy Lauper, Billy Squire, Danny DeVito, Liberace, and whoever the fuck David Wolf is. I think he was Cindy Lauper's husband. I had to look uh, it up too. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, Jake's yeah. nodding. Okay, good. Yeah. There's that one promo where it's Hogan and like all the celebrities and wrestlers in the back screaming their balls off. It's like Mr. T screaming, Cindy Lauper screaming, and then Andy Warhol's like, "I'm speechless. This is this is the craziest thing I've ever seen." And it's like this is the only time I've ever seen Mean Gene like flustered. He's like, "What the fuck?" And like, <laughs> but but Gene even covers it good. I even got that in my notes. He's like, "Okay, I know I know this dude's not gonna give me what I want," but then he even like he sells it as I think in my notes it was like. 
Andy Warhol with all the energy of Stephen Wright on 50 Xanag. So, but but Gene, like, he knows when to end it. And then he's like, so I'm just glad you're having so much fun, which in my research is like, Andy Warhol was legitimately a wrestling fan. Yeah, he, loved, he, he, like, he saw it as like, you know, a metaphor for yeah, life. I mean, and... all that campy kid shit. I mean, I'm sure he loved it, man. At WrestleMania 1, when someone no-showed to sing the national anthem, it was Mean Gene who stepped up and crushed that shit because he was literally good at everything. One of the weirdest things is, in all this, there was supposed to be another singer, but one of the biggest mysteries is, is even to this day, they will not reveal who the fucking singer is. I don't understand why we're solving stuff so close to the vest. 30 fucking years later. If anyone knows who was the original singer, I want to know. I only want to know because no one will tell me. It was around this point where Mean Gene would begin his run as one of the most important figures in pro wrestling, whether it was an opening bout, a mid-cart title match, or Hulk versus Andre at WrestleMania 3. Mean Gene was there, a centerpiece for every great story in WWF. And as WWF grew, so did Mean Gene's workload. Since WWF would run three shows a weekend, in three different markets, Mean Gene would have to cut promos for each wrestler for each market, which sometimes led to him recording over a hundred promos a day. Gene quoted himself in one of his shoots where he said it was either 86 or 87 that he cut 141 two minute and 54 second promos. And he said kind of the norm was about 110 or 120, but they're always 254 or 154. Jesus. On top of that, he was hosting All-American Wrestling at the Event Center and a Johnny Carson-like show, Tuesday Night Titans. Plus, he was doing interviews, uh, studio spots, and full-blown sketches for Coliseum Video. Let's get into some of these 80s WWF promos, which are considered by many the greatest of all time. Let's start with the obvious one, Hulk Hogan. The one that I got first up on mine is the Hogan promo at WrestleMania 4, which in doing all this, Gene is just, when Hogan cuts a promo, he pretty much just goes off and he's all by himself. Gene is the face, he's the the visual counterpiece that makes it work perfectly. He holds the mic great. He reacts, he, he's right there, and Ho- he, his face makes Hogan's over-the-top psycho shit seem okay. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the first one I got here is the WrestleMania 4 one where Hogan admits such great lines as, Thank God Donald Trump is a Hulkamaniac! <laughs> and he, he cuts an Ultimate Warrior-style promo about slamming Andre so hard that the floor is going to fall out and Donald Trump and the Hulkamaniacs are going to fall into it. And Donald Trump's going to be hanging on the top of Trump Plaza, but he's going to hold his family under his arm because he's going to get rid of his materialistic possessions. So Hogan really doesn't understand Trump. And then he's going to backstroke. And I don't know. The fact that Gene did not crack up during this is is a testament to his ability. Trump is a Hulkamaniac like he's a Christian where he just says that so people will vote for him and he doesn't actually represent the values of either. Oh... I thought they just because they both said the N-word. Fuck you. I hate you so much. <laughs> and then you have the promos with the Macho Man. Cream of the crop, cup of coffee, the beat goes on. This might be controversial, especially for Nick. Flair, Hogan, Savage was Mean Gene's best promos. <laughs> Incorrect. Thanks for playing. See, okay, this is probably going to piss off other people too. But when Flair and Hogan get into it, it is all them. Gene is there. He, I mean, he he is that visual, the person we know and love. And he, if, if he wasn't there, it's not complete. 
But Flair's going off on the tangent. Hogan's going off on a tangent. But when Savage was there, he would have levels to his shit. They begin this ongoing gag that probably goes on for four years where Mean Gene is so infatuated with Elizabeth and he was such a good actor that he would just light up whenever Elizabeth would show up. They would keep it going. It would turn into Elizabeth being there and then him and Elizabeth would start chatting and then totally ignore Savage like, oh, I'm only the intercontinental champion. I'm just standing here. And then they would finally get back to him. And then it would turn into how Mean Gene and Elizabeth were talking about their tennis game. And then the private conversations they would have because Savage didn't want her around anymore. And it was this ongoing gag that went on for like fucking four years. And just the layers to this was beautiful. And the way that Savage would throw stuff out there. And Gene, this was another good quality where he would just, he would pop back at Savage. And Savage would just have the best fucking lines and it turned their stuff together into the different level that I think Hogan and Flair have where they were they were a true team my favorite moment of the let me tell you something mean gene promo that the WWF put together which is really good there's a behind the scenes moment it's savage out of care or still in character but they're not doing a regular promo and savage goes you hit it right on the money talking to gene and then gene talks about how Savage should say the WrestleMania 5 promo. And it's two artists working together. And that, that behind-the-scenes shit, just like, oh, my God, it's so good. I love when you see those little interactions of people working together to create something. It might, my favorite promo of all time, if I have to put something on it, is probably in the beat goes on. Because Savage is so fucking out of his mind. But Gene pulls it back. It's either that one or Sid Vicious's fuel-injected suicide yeah, machine. <laughs> I cannot say enough how good Gene and Savage fed off each other. They were fucking mwah. I think Gene was at his best when he would have outrageous characters. Like the little Coliseum video segments he would have with the Bushwhackers. Yeah. Anybody who's like losing their damn mind in front of Gene was always the best in his reactions of ho 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 <laughs> yeah, like anytime it was like that half startle that he would get <laughs> or people would do something of that level that's when gene was at his best i always feel like because as the interviewer lance russell was great at this but mean gene was probably the one that everybody knows and and goes to right away but i i always use lance russell as my example but mean gene is most certainly in that same class as well is that you have to be the straight man For these people to seem like outrageous characters, for these people to seem wacky and unorthodox, a a person that's worth watching and not an ordinary person, you need that person who is that ordinary person, that straight man, that person that is our grounding point to this not being so ridiculous. Because if two people are being ridiculous, it just doesn't make any sense. But if you see Mean Gene, like, oh, that's a representation of the everyman, the common man, and how a normal person would react to the things that are said and says the things like, how could you possibly say that? Yeah. Or you're a dastardly person. You know, like, oh, these guys are crazy, or I'm startled from them jumping out from underneath these pile of leaves. Like, anytime there was an over-the-top character, his reactions were always the best and made those people larger than life. We always talk about 80s WWF having larger life characters it's because gene always made sure that he pushed them up onto a pedestal and made them larger than life totally 
There's the SummerSlam in 1989 where he's interviewing Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. Oh, that is actually what I was going to When the sign in the back falls and oh. Mean Gene goes, fuck it. And they accidentally played that on air. The camera cut away to a live shot with Shivani and Jesse Ventura kind of left hanging. And apparently Vince was on the headset just screaming for them to cover. And Ventura, Jesse said something like, Ah, oh, that mean Gene's a real troublemaker. <laughs> After he just screamed fuck into SummerSlam's crowd. <laughs> and it was the goddamn, uh, the editor's fault. They put just put the wrong take. Yeah, because it was pre-taped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Then, well, how did they not just be like, well, delete that immediately? <laughs> Right after Rude loses the belt to the Ultimate Warrior when Piper comes out there and shows his uh, yeah. butt or his pants. It's 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 one of the best Heenan because at the end of this thing, Heenan is so fucking upset. He has a breakdown and he's like, and Gene's like, get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> Heenan is losing his fucking mind. It is just gorgeous. Any interaction between those two is just perfect yeah because gene knew what his role was straight man always uh -huh. and heenan could play it straight but he knew that he had a straight man that was going to be there so you you always saw a more exaggerated version of heenan next to mean gene because he knew he had a strong and grounded straight man yeah so he's like, okay, well, he's going to play it straight. I need to be more ridiculous to, to be in a different space than him so we could coexist in that, that realm. And we can't not mention his work with the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, the gobbledygooker at 1990s Survivor Series. God bless Hector Guerrero. I used to watch him on WCW Worldwide all the time. Like, the egg wasn't even cracking yet, and the crowd was like, boo. It was so no, no, what do you mean, Nick? It was pre-cracked the whole fucking time. <laughs> Everyone knows this is, like, a horrible segment, but the only yeah. reason it isn't, like, Shockmaster level was because Mean Gene was out there to save it. He sold it so much, and it goes on and on and literally for fucking on. And, and also Piper is just like, oh man, the kids are loving it. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to put it over so hard. And th there's a good moment where you can feel the cameraman trying really hard to find someone re reacting at all to what is happening. <laughs> One thing I discovered while really digging deep on the Gene promos is type in WWF slash WWE UK outtakes 1986. You get 20, I think it's 28 minutes of uncut footage of gene working for i think they're in um france or london or some shit and it's just them cutting promos back to back to back of him having to do stuff for the angles and for all the matches there and you get gene just be like this is gonna be 254 on the sky channel this is 154 play date to be determined and then they bring in like hillbilly jim and you get gene just off the cuff asking questions about the promo he's gonna cut like what's the name of that other jabroni and Gene cussing, which is just always fun. Uh, all the outtakes that you uh, just look up Mean Gene outtakes. You get Gene just basically cutting stand-up bits for the entire crew. Cracking up Nikolai Volkov, telling him he fucking sucks at singing. <laughs> giving Greg, ha Greg the Hammer Valentine and his girlfriend a bunch of shit. You get to see a graphic that says Mean Tiny Dick Gene. Kamala, who is hilarious. <laughs> him and Kamala cut an entire little sketch there's so much good Gene off the cuff being himself stuff and definitely look up the outtakes because you get to see Gene not only in his element as a professional 
smart, brilliant man doing the job that he's the best at, but also just him having fucking fun and looking like one of the best jobs in the world. By 1993, Mean Gene felt that he had done everything he could possibly do in the WWF, and he said it was time to move on. His contract wasn't renewed, so Mean Gene set his sights on World Championship Wrestling. And Gene said that as he left, the entire locker room gave him a standing ovation. After setting out his no-compete clause, Mean By God Gene made his WCW debut November 6, 1993 on an edition of WCW Saturday Night. Walking into the arena to a standing ovation because rightfully fuck it so. Yeah. He was greeted by Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura. And just like the pro he was, gets right to work, teasing interviews, <laughs> pitching matches, nope. doing Mean Gene stuff. And Eric Bischoff, I believe on his 83 Weeks podcast, made the statement that when Gene came in, it gave WCW immediate credibility. Because here you had a guy who was the interviewer on the other channel, WWF, whatever, who everybody knew, and the fact that, oh, this guy is here now. The guy who we listened to, like a trusted voice. It'd be like if Tom Brokaw appeared on the CBS News. Yeah. Like, oh, CBS News, that's that's top notch. Yeah. You know, even though CBS had Dan Rather. Here's a better here's a better <laughs> example. If Tom Brokaw went to ABC, because fuck Peter Jennings. Um, Man, we're getting to some weird stuff I didn't think we were getting into. Nightly news was kind of a thing of mine for a while <laughs> as a young kid. When, when you're in second grade and you know who the Speaker of the House is, you're, you're talking to a different type of cat. Um, so I always felt that Tom Brokaw had like the, the most credibility of all of them. So it'd be like Tom Brokaw walking in and, you know, being CNN's anchor yeah. or something like that. Like immediately this guy has the credibility. We've trusted him on the flagship network. And now here he is. Yeah. Later in the same WCW Saturday night, Larry King did a little segment to welcome Gene into the Turner family, Ooh. putting him over big time. And then after that, mean Gene would do his first WCW interview with Ric Flair, Sid vicious. Fuck. And a big reason Mean Gene signed with WCW was for the godforsaken hotline. 1-900-909-9900. And I, it ruined my life. It ruined my family's life. I, I would get grounded once every three months. Like, I could, ho I could I would call it. My parents would get the phone bill. I would get yelled at. I couldn't watch wrestling for a couple weeks. And I would hold out for like a couple months but eventually <laughs> i had to know what the fuck the nasty boys were up to and i called and repeat the cycle the great quote that i found by james e Cornette: even a moron like Polly dangerously can remember one nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred uh make it that tattooed you should um i don't know if this is right but the stuff i found that uh before gene took over the hotline it was making 350 per year but then when he started promoting the shit out of it, $3 million a year. And Gene had 100% input on the hotline. One night, Gene's tag was, Sorry to report, a 45-year-old heavyweight champion has died. All that and much more on the hotline tonight. Everyone in the world thought it was Ric Flair, but it was Jerry Blackwell. But they got 160,000 calls at one Jeez. night and made about 600 k yeah, how does it make you feel, Nicholas, <laughs> that he was just basically clickbaiting you? Uh, <laughs> and, and like, basically, Mean Gene was BuzzFeed, 
1995 and 1994. The, the worst part is I trusted him so much, and I just wanted to call and hear Mean Gene talk. <laughs> and he shit all over it for 29 cents a minute. <laughs> Last one on the Mean Gene shit. I found a thread where this dude was really pissed off, and call the hotline. Mean Gene is spreading rumors again. This is February 15th, 2001, and the dude goes, I went to WrestleBoard.com, and it looks like Mean Gene Okerlund is out spreading rumors again. He claims that ECW has officially shut down and Paulie Heyman has accepted a deal with the WWF. Doesn't Okerlund have anything to do besides spread rumors? What a load of horse shit. By the way, ECW would shut its doors in under two months. Yeah, that's literally just what happened. (laughs) So Gene fucking nailed that. Thank you very much. Yeah, but at that time, that's like saying, like, the Titanic sinking as soon as it hits the iceberg, like the Titanic—it's they already hit the iceberg. The Titanic's gonna sink, and he's just saying that from the back. But of the Heyman boat. didn't even tell his own wrestlers. So shit, man. He's just guessing. It's just <laughs> educated, educated guesses. All right, what are some of your favorite WCW promos? The one right below this is the Booker T one, but I can't say too much <laughs> about that. Uh, I would just give it to. That's another one where like. Booker drops that and Gene doesn't skip a single beat. Yeah, he's nothing. There's not like even a little wry smile. There's not a single face crack and he just goes right through it. And yep, the rest is history. I think what he, he thought was, Ooh, I wonder if anybody heard that. Let's just keep moving on because if I sell it, um, then it's an issue. It's yeah, an issue. Right. But if I just no sell it, maybe everybody will be, weren't really paying attention. Yeah, to what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what did I hear? Did I yeah. hear that? But I think the the most memorable WCW promo that Mean Gene did was have to be his in ring for Bash at the Beach. Yeah, that's got to be it. Um, that right up there, just him speaking for the fans, and 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 here's Hulk Hogan, who he has all this history with, and he calling him trash. What what is this perfect moment? Yeah, just yeah. encapsulated and perfect. Like that's WCW at its absolute one hundred percent best yeah also too i think another great mean gene promo was one he did with piper and piper was talking about because they were doing the whole thing about the whole angle about piper having a like a hip replacement and he only had one good leg and all these promos were being cut and i'll never forget piper saying well i guess i'm just a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest (laughs) and then hopped off camera <laughs> and just Gene, and and just Gene just keeping his composure and then closing it out. I was like, ah, that's that's what a pro does. That's yeah. what you do, you know. Especially and, and just contributed to it and then just punctuated it even more. I remember um, getting really excited when I first got into wrestling and learning what ECW was, and then Raven was like the I think the first big transfer from ECW, or the big one, I think like Public Enemy had already done it, but Raven was the first one that I was really fucking excited about, and Raven made the WCW move, and they started that whole angle with him and Stevie Richards at ringside, and they're just sitting there hanging out, they're not even officially part of the team, so me and Gene would go down there and kind of inquire what you guys are doing here, and then Raven would throw a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe gibberish bullshit at him. And then Steve, he would talk, ask him who Stevie Richards is, and then Richards would open his mouth too much. And then Raven would beat the shit out of Stevie <laughs> Richards. And then, of course, Gene was like, oh, my God, this is just, you're beating him like a redheaded stepchild. And I remember just Gene trying to find out who Raven was and the crowd marking out for Raven beating the shit out of Stevie Richards really helped put Raven over in those early days. 
oh, so Raven beating the shit out of Stevie Richards in WCW. That was kind of what he did in ECW too. So what you're saying is Raven just the same exact angle that he did in ECW? Well, a wrestler copy an angle uh, and then transfer to another like place. I, for sure, Micah loving. Nick doesn't like it. I, it. I could see how coincidentally angles would happen again, but it should just be a series. Stop being a of- Raven apologist, okay? Like. <laughs> I, th- I think Nick has a real problem with the actual words. Like, stories, there's only a limited amount of stories, right? But just, like, the collection of words, there's so many more possibilities. And you feel, is that the yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, Dusty can only say hard times once. <laughs> he can't say that in every city. I, I, I Okay. Uh, so, me and Gene wrote the ship down as it sunk. And when WWF bought WCW, he was absorbed back into the company. And me and Gene Okerlund was back home. His first assignment back in the WWF was for the Gimmick Battle Royal at WrestleMania 17, April 1st, 2001, alongside Bobby the Brain Heenan. They're basically Statler and Waldorf roasting everyone, making jokes. It is truly wonderful. It's a quick match won by Iron Sheik, and Gene said the reason Sheik won was because he was the only wrestler in the Battle Royal that physically could no longer take a t- over-the-top-rup bump, so he had to win. <laughs> From there, Gene would pop up here and there on WWE TV and later the network. He hosted WWE Confidential in 2002, and that lasted for two years, as well as WWE Madison Square Garden Classics, a weekly series airing on the MSG network. He was also the host for WWE Classics on Demand Hall of Fame section. Mean Gene was inducted into the 2006 Hall of Fame, and Vern Gagne was put in that year. Bobby Heenan was on the dais inducting him was hulk hogan it couldn't have been a more perfect circle for mean gene's career and his speech was obviously amazing and funny and classy in june 2008 okerland began hosting wwe vintage collection and at the age of 66 he still cranked out over 100 episodes jeez november 15th 2010 mean gene was there to conduct interviews for an old school episode of raw where he did interviews on like the 80s little half stage halfway up the ramp it was it was, it was good I, I recommend watching that whole episode of raw which i don't think i've said in years on <laughs> <laughs> april 10th 2012 during the wwe smackdown blast from the past episode oakland teamed up with sheamus to face the team of daniel bryan and alberto del rio and this is the famous match where mean gene hits a shooting star press I watched this because I was like, maybe something. He literally does not get in the ring or do (laughs) anything. The most important thing about this match is that Sheamus and Mean Gene's team won, making Mean Gene undefeated in the WWF and WWE. Also, we kind of glanced over it because we fucking should have. But uh, Mean Gene had a short two-match feud with Mark Madden in the Vince Russo abortion days, which Gene actually called it on one of his shoot interviews um gene got two wins over mark madden there so i think gene is officially four and fucking oh in wrestling matches uh, i should name like a metal band vince russo abortion that <laughs> did his best no. all right I, I, <laughs> he did his goddamn best like fucking was he great no was it was he really kind of sh- shitty at times yeah but did if put through the proper channels and the proper filter did he deliver a quality product yeah he did all right wow this is so easy though it's like silver platter shit come on <laughs> yeah. 
2011 at WrestleMania 27, Mean Gene was in the house to cut a promo with The Rock and Pee Wee Herman. And you couldn't have possibly hit me in the nostalgia harder with those three people. Fuck everyone. It was great. In November 2016, Mean Gene became the narrator for the WWE Network original animated series, WWE Storytime. And I've seen a handful of episodes. They're actually kind of funny and good. I kind of want to watch them. I just want to see Gene as an animated character. <laughs> On January 22nd, 2018, Mean Gene made his very last WWE appearance where he interviewed the phenomenal AJ Styles. And you want to know how over Mean Gene is, is the crowd's chanting AJ Styles, and then the, the, the camera pans over to Mean Gene, and they just blow the roof off the place. It's, it's, he's just immediately still in... 2018 getting a huge response for those two guys you must have been like jerking it and then it cut the gene and you were just like fucking boom i'm glad you said it because i wasn't gonna go there but yeah that's that's what happened aj styles is the way the truth and the light on so, this earth and the flat earth <laughs> don't don't get those all right this is about to turn into a two-parter i just got questions there's questions we need to answer about the flat earth you know what? It's so flat from all the shoulders he's pinned against it, all right? And all... That's solid. I like all that. All right, good. There we go. That's a fit. <laughs> so in Mean Gene's later years, he suffered from polycystic kidney disease. Mean Gene liked to party. He had three <laughs> kidney transplants, which is god. fucking irresponsible, Mean Gene. Come oh on. Oh my god, dude. Um, his first was in 95. Uh, and then he had one in 04 when his wife gave him a kidney, but apparently she was too good to give him the other one. And then in December of 2018, Mean Gene suffered a fall, which led to a ton of health problems on top of his kidney disease. And on the morning, January 2nd, 2019, Mean Gene Okerlund died at the age of 76 in a Sarasota, Florida hospital. And you want to know how important and big mean gene was when i google people for this podcast there's always like an article from the wwe you know it's kind of expected if they were pretty big pretty famous they'll have two maybe three major news sites that have nothing to do with wrestling maybe a local piece from their local news uh wherever they grew up or lived but for mean gene he got WWE, obviously, then NBC News, ESPN, the New York Times, LA Times, the Washington Post, People, the Hollywood Reporter, CBS Sports, Sports Illustrated, and I could keep on going and going, and they were all throwing around words like legendary, iconic, voice of a generation, master, respected, because that's what Mean Gene was. So final thoughts on Mean Gene Okerlund. Got a funny story. Uh, that didn't really fit anywhere in here, but when he passed, a lot of of my favorite podcasts did podcasts on Mean Gene, and they always talked about how he always liked a couple clear ones and liked flirting with younger ladies. Not that he would ever do anything with any of them, but he always said that I got to keep the skills sharp as a salesman. I got to be able to close close the sale. So he, there was nothing extramarital going on, but he liked to flirt with the younger ladies, and. I was doing a wrestling convention where Mean Gene was our, our guest and we had a couple other talents and I was running the front and I actually my girlfriend of the time was there and she was there to work and I figured, well, my girlfriend of the time is from Minnesota, Gene, you know, South Dakota, Minnesota guy, I'll just put them together and, you know, she has a charm about herself and, you know, Mean Gene and her, they'll have a good time and be minimal worries. 
So as the day goes by and I get kind of a break, I check in on my, on my girlfriend at the time and say, hey, is everything going okay? She goes to me, oh, me and Gene are having a great time. He is flirting with me nonstop. <laughs> I'm like, really? Me and Gene Okerlund? She goes, oh, yeah. I'm like, all right. And then I go back and do some more work. And then I come back around and she is like on Gene's lap. <laughs> I don't know how that all happened, but like he had charmed her and she just was sitting on his lap saying stuff like, oh, Gene, just you're being ridiculous. So he was a charmer, man, even in, even in his late life. And, you know, when he passed, he listed off all those new sites and you're talking about, you know, legendary voice of a generation iconic all of those those words are absolutely true but i think the thing that people may not realize and i hope everybody realizes the way that he got those titles of iconic legendary you know these high descriptive titles of him the way he got those is by just hard work just simply doing his job to the best of his ability every single day that's it. I mean, he was he was great. He had talent for sure. Yes. But he just showed up and did his job every single day, being professional, being on time, doing what was asked of him, going the extra mile if need be, but doing what the job entailed every single day without fail. Like you can't think of anybody that's had a story of like, oh, well, Gene was out late last night or this happened or he was in a bad mood or this was going on or this was going on or this happened or he said this or this he was mad at this guy or he rubbed it and he's like no he just did his job and moved forward and then you hear the stories like from Bruce Pritchard that if I ever got to a point that people were dicking around or moving real slow he's like hey guys we need to focus on the task at hand I know maybe there's other things we got to worry about. We got, but we got to deal with recording these with these pre tapes because we have to have them over to the truck immediately. We have to record these promos so they get out. So let's take care of the things that we immediately have to take care of right now, and then we'll worry about the other stuff when we get there. Just that focus and just doing your job and doing your due diligence every single day. That's what made him a legend. Gene was a huge part of my childhood. I know that sounds cliche, and I'm sure everyone's saying that, but it's like, I have to fucking say it, because it's true. Gene made me believe and be a fucking mark. Gene made me fear for both opponents, because both of them were ready to fucking kick some ass, man. I think some of the most fun while I was doing this research was finding all the promos where Gene loses it, because Gene was so professional that when he would corpse... And he, would, he could not go on anymore. And Gene would do this little thing where if he was starting to laugh, he would kind of play with his nose. He would he would kind of grab his nose yeah, like he yeah. had an itch. like he So he could easily cover his mouth. And as much as he could, sometimes it would work. Um, just I mean, just look up Gene Corpson, just the stuff with Wendy Richter and Paul Orndorff. There's so many, man. Just put them in there. They'll pop up. We wouldn't have uh, Who Are You to Delt El Dandy without Gene. Look up Battle Bowl 93, Mean Gene being a perv, <laughs> where it's him and Fifi picking the Battle Bowl balls out of the thing to see who uh, teams up together, and Gene's just doing every fucking innuendo-y, pervy sex joke ever. The build-up to Ric Flair and Vader's Starcade 93 match, the one where Flair had to put his career on the line against Vader's belt. And there's these there's a segment where Gene interviews Flair in his cabin in fucking Minnesota. 
and it's just Gene. I mean, he plays it like a, you know, he's Gene plays the true sports reporter. He's the one that Bob Costas talks about. That like, no matter how silly it got or no matter how ridiculous, he made it real. But it went past that Gene was a true reporter getting a scoop. He was getting the insides of an athlete who was about to have the biggest match of his life. And they sit there in front of a fire. The best part is Tony Schiavone is shown at the beginning of this, and then they cut him out of the shot, and you know he's just sitting over there the whole fucking time not doing anything. But Gene sits there and interviews Flair, and I, Flair, this is some of Flair's best acting. They, they make you care so damn much. Oh man, it's some of the best shit that I didn't that I didn't remember that Gene did with him, and it brought a true realism and a feeling that this really was. Even if you thought wrestling was real, there the family was involved. Gene's emotions were just maxed out, and you really thought, "Shit, Rick might lose, and we'll never see Rick again." I can't recommend looking that stuff up enough. Another thing that you gotta look up is uh, the Randy Savage and Gene stuff when they did All Star Wrestling. I, God, I just, I watched hours of this shit and I just had a ball. This was some of the funnest damn research I've had to do. And honest to God, I found one of the coolest things I have ever found. Um, just type in WCW Monday Nitro promo. There's two of them. And it's basically behind the scenes filmmaking of Dusty Rhodes directing a backstage segment with Gene cutting the interview and then... Bret Hart and Scott Hall in the background discussing things. And you get to see Dusty directing. You get to see, like, Brian Adams just like, oh, I'm going to go in this door. You get to see Gene, like, smoking off camera. It's it, it's like a film set. And I've never seen this fucking footage before. And it was just the most amazing things I've ever seen. Because Gene could do it all, as we've said. It's the full spectrum. Funny as hell. Serious. I mean, he could do it all. So not that there ever could be, but wrestling doesn't even have the structure to have another mean gene, you know, especially in WWE, you have like these kind of robotic backstage interviews. The interviewer just kind of blankly stares at the person they're talking to. And, you know, they're not selling the interaction the way he did. And I I need, I need the Harry Potter scene where he's like, how dare you stand where he stood? Mean gene was not, only the greatest interviewer he was like one of the greatest actors and comedians and improvisers of all time like his wit and his charm his ability to just live in the moment and commit to bits and angles it was it was world class and if you could dive into like the deepest regions of my brain mean gene is so ingrained in my psyche like and when he died i felt like i lost a family member he was just always there from my first memories to being a teenager to the day he passed, like wrestling without Mean Gene doesn't even make sense. And I feel very lucky that I got to meet him. I got to shake his hand. And I remember seeing him at WrestleCon in Orlando and thinking, if I don't meet Mean Gene and something happened to him, I'd, I'd never forgive myself. So I did the whole meet and greet picture thing. And I was so tongue tied and nervous and you know, I've met tons of wrestlers from knowing Jake and working at two WrestleCons. You know, I've worked with wrestlers and the glitter kind of wears off. It's like, oh, yeah, there's the Hardys again. There's Jerry Lawler again. But meeting Mean Gene was like meeting a president or something. It just felt so weird and surreal and special. And I'm naturally a very quiet, very shy, uh, great lover and a huge introvert overall. And meeting Mean Gene was so 
crazy that I literally couldn't say words. And in, in true Mean Gene fashion, even when he was staring back at this starstruck mute, he he was like, ah, a man of little words. I like that. And then we both just left. And in that just 20, 30 seconds of interaction, he was able to pull something out of me. And that's why he was so great. He always owned the situation. He always got the best out of every spot he was put in. I normally, I don't get too wrapped up in celebrity deaths. And we're, what, almost 30 episodes in. And we've covered some really awesome people. And I think I've kind of no-sold everyone. (laughs) But this one really hurts. You know, my entire life had Mean Gene Okerlund's voice in it. And it's going to be so weird to figure out how to live the rest of it without it. So that is our episode on the great Mean Gene Okerlund. Thank you uh, so much for everyone who donates to our Patreon. And if you'd like to check it out, head over to patreon.com slash timbellpod. We are Tim Bell Pod on all the social medias, including a YouTube I've been working on. For the love of God, find us on YouTube. Go there, please, please. I'm Nico Lessa on all of the things. Micah is jtrotter27 on Twitter. And Jake is Man Scout Manning on all the social medias. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs>